So our world um, is really facing a, a leadership crisis, isn't it? Um, and you only have to look to uh, recent presidential elections as Exhibit A, and this is not going to be uh, a sermon on politics, but as I talked uh, to people uh, during recent presidential elections, I had very few conversations with people who were actually excited about one of the candidates. Um, because the candidates were equally unattractive in many ways, and, and, and the people were like, I don't know which candidate can best lead. And again, this isn't meant to be um, a, a political message, but just a, it's kind of a barometer of our time that we are in a world that has a leadership crisis. And it's not, it's not just our political leaders. And I think, I think it's safe to say that there's also something of a leadership crisis in the business world today. And sadly, as we've seen repeatedly and publicly far too often, there's a very real leadership crisis within the church. In fact, a, a recent World Economic Forum report, report stated that, uh, based on lar a large survey um, focused primarily uh, on political and religious leaders around the world, but also including business leaders as well, that, that a startling 86% of respondents think that we have a leadership crisis in the world today. However, this le leadership crisis that we live in really started at the very beginning of time. If you grab your Bibles and you were to flip to the very first pages, what you'll see is that the very first sin ever committed was committed because of a leadership crisis. Remember the story? So God creates everything. He creates the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the plants and the animals, everything. And then he creates Adam and he creates Eve and he tells Adam and Eve, listen, this is, this is all yours to enjoy. Go explore the world, exercise dominion over creation. The doors are just wide open for how they could spend their time. But he says, I've got one little thing that, that I'd like you not to do. Don't eat the tree from this one tree, the, the fruit from this one tree. And so what, as we know, what do they do? They eat the fruit from the tree, right? Now, who ate the fruit first? Eve. And who does God hold responsible? Adam. In fact, it's referred to as the sin of Adam. Why is that? It's a leadership crisis. Because Adam was called to be the head of his household and to lovingly lead his home, and he failed at that. And as a result, sin just exploded into the rest of creation. And it, it was a leadership crisis. And from then on, you flip from page to page to page to page to page through Scripture, and what do you see? Leadership crisis after leadership crisis after leadership crisis. I mean, even David, he was, he was the king. He was described as a man after God's own heart, and he, yet he had a sinful attitude toward women, and he actually had someone killed in order to try and cover up his adultery and sin. And so does that cause us today to say, well, I guess there's no hope then. I guess there's no way that we could ever have any kind of leadership that is any different than this. Well, no. You see, in the passage that we're going to look at today, which is um, John chapter 10, 
And so, if you will, you know, find your way there, either in your Bible or your worship guide. In John 10, Jesus uses a very interesting word to describe himself, and in a way to describe leaders. And the word that he uses is shepherd. Jesus doesn't say emperor. He doesn't say king. He doesn't say CEO. He says shepherd. And Jesus is not alone in describing leaders that way. You go to Isaiah or to Jeremiah or to Ezekiel, and they all describe good leaders who are following after God's heart as good shepherds, and those who, who religiously lead people astray as bad shepherds. shepherds. You, you, you go to the New Testament, and pastors, well, they're given the title pastor, and what, and what is the word pastor? The word pastor is literally shepherd. In fact, in, in 1 Peter, the pastors of the church are commanded to shepherd the flock that is among them until the chief shepherd, Jesus, arrives. And so what we're going to see in this passage today in John 10 is Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. And there's a very clear and straightforward message um, to chapter 10, and it's about Jesus as the good shepherd. And yet, there's an application that goes even beyond that to all of us who lead in any capacity. And, 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 and me even mentioning that right now sets up two dangers that I just want to hit straight, straight away. First, the primary crystal clear message of this passage is about Jesus, about him as the good shepherd. That is the point of the passage. And any application is kind of secondary to that. We ought to, to make sure that we read the text appropriately and correctly. The second danger is when we say that we're going to apply this to leaders, it, it, it's easy for all of us to, to look at the myriad of bad examples and say, well, they're not doing this. That leader is crappy. But we're going to talk about you. Because every one of us is a leader at some point in our life. You're a mom, or you're a dad, you're, or you're a coach, or, or a teacher, or a business owner, or an older sibling. Maybe you're a, a, a community group leader. There's a, there's a place in your life. We, are, we all lead at some place in our lives. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend our time looking at Jesus, and, and, and the point of this passage is, is him as the good shepherd and then we're going to leap over here to talk about leadership at the end. Okay, so that's, that's the plan this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your worship guide open, let's look at this, John 10, starting uh, in verse 1. These are Jesus' words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Does anybody else find encouragement every time you read that last sentence? Um, 
I mean, can I get an amen even in a Presbyterian church, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, he, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus' words or the Bible are, are, are not understandable, because they are understandable. It doesn't mean that they didn't get the illustration. They knew what the illustration was, was about, even better than we do, because in our world, it generally doesn't involve sheep and shepherds, but, but theirs did. And, but, but what they just didn't understand was the application and the connection that Jesus was getting at. And what Jesus was, what was Jesus talking about here? Well, He's painting a picture for them that they would have understood very well in their culture. And that is of a shepherd getting up uh, early in the morning and going down to spend his day with, with the sheep. And, and, and where he would end up is, is, is he would get to what's called the sheepfold. And, and the sheepfold would have been this large area with a wall, a, a stone wall that had one entrance in it. And at this gate, the, the, the gate would be closed and there would be a watchman or, or a gatekeeper at that gate protecting the sheep. In fact, the gatekeeper, the, the watchman would sometimes, if, if he needed to take a nap in the course of the night, he would shut the door, lock it behind him, and he would lay in front of the gate so that the only way to, to get into the sheep would be to, to wake this guy up and, to, and, and, and push him out of, out, of, out of the way. And so the shepherd gets up in the morning and he heads to the gate and he wakes the guy up. You know, he kicks him, wakes him up. And, and, and the guy looks up, oh, you're the shepherd, and, and, and he can come in. But, but when the shepherd goes into the sheepfold, he, he, he's, he's not going to just run into his sheep. Because several shepherds would bring their flocks together and put them all in the sheepfold together. And so it's, it's kind of like a bunch of sheep all mixed up in this area. And so what he would do is he would walk in and he would begin to call out his, call his sheep out of the flock. Now what's remarkable uh, about this is that they would know who he was and he would know who they were. I mean, I, I, I heard a story uh, just this week of this guy who was a shepherd and, and he was riding in, in a car with somebody uh, one day and he was explaining to him how he had just sold a couple of, of lambs to someone else. And, and, and as they're, they're going along, there's this big flock out in this field and he goes, hey, there they are. And as he rolls down his window and yells out at the sheep, these two little lambs, you know, they turn and look at this guy because they know his voice. And this is the picture that Jesus is trying to, to point to point to, to make a you know to point to um, that when a stranger goes in or maybe another shepherd one who's got you know other sheep but the sheep scatter away from from the shepherd but but the shepherd they the sheep they hear the voice of the shepherd and recognize him and and he recognizes them and he knows them maybe even by name and he calls them to himself. And we're going to look a lot more at that uh, next time. But, but notice, his, notice Jesus' contrast here. What he's saying is there's a shepherd, and the shepherd knows his sheep. He, he calls his sheep by name. He cares for them. He loves them. And, and he is in contrast to the thief, the robber, and the stranger. The, the thief sneaks in. 
jumps over the wall kind of a, on the backside where, you know, where, where the gatekeeper won't see him, sneaks and just grabs one's sheep to, to, and then sneaks out. And what, the, what does the robber do? The robber just kills the gatekeeper, throws open the gate, doesn't care if other, other sheep get out, but, but, but he's just going to go in and get what he wants. The stranger is just one who goes in and the sheep don't, don't recognize his voice and they run away. They run in the other way. And, and what is the context of all of this? The context is danger. Jesus' story has danger at the center. And, and what Jesus is saying is sheep are vulnerable. And why are sheep vulnerable? Because this is the truth. Sheep are stupid. That's the problem with sheep. Sheep are stupid. Let me give you an example. What sheep, uh, what, what sheep would do is like, if there's like a fence, and the, it's like a slatted fence, the sheep will walk into the fence and stick their head right through the slots, right? So what is the smartest way to get out of that situation? Right? You back up. What does a sheep do? Keeps going forward. A, keep, a sheep just keeps pressing and pressing, thinking, I will eventually be able to get my way through this fence in this direction. Sheep are stupid. Sheep go into some thickets and thorns. They walk their way in. They get stuck. How do they get themselves out? They keep going straight. The sheep don't back up because sheep are stupid. What is Jesus saying? The sheep are vulnerable. They're easy prey. They're easy to get lost. The, the entire system is built for the protection of the sheep. The walls, the watchkeeper laying in front of the, the door, the shepherd himself, are there for the protection of helpless and hopeless sheep. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've always thought of shepherding as kind of a docile career. You, you know, you're kind of just hanging out in some bucolic field with that little hooky thing. But if you go to 1 Samuel and you see that King David, who was a shepherd before he was a king, which is interesting, isn't it? But, but David said, man, I've had to kill lions. I've had to kill bears protecting my sheep. Shepherds have to watch out for wolves and lions. It's not just the, the thieves and the robbers. There are all kinds of predatory animals trying to get these vulnerable, vulnerable sheep. So Jesus tells this story, which everyone knew, and they're like, and? Why are you telling us this story? Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Well, that's kind of weird, because I totally thought he was going to say shepherd, right? But Jesus says, I am the door. What is Jesus talking about? Well, they would know what Jesus was talking about. You see... When, when, when that gate gets open and the shepherd stands in the door, he's the one that decides which one of the sheep can, can come in and which one of the sheep will go out. When, when they walk through areas that are, are dangerous, he's the one who stands in the little crevice to, to protect the sheep. Uh, 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 a lot of times next to the pasture, there'd be a, a small little... Uh, enclosure. So whenever there were thunderstorms or, or, or stuff like that that would scare the sheep, the sheep would run in there and he would stand in the gate 
as, as the door to let the sheep in and out of, of, of the gate and in and out of danger. So when Jesus says, I am the door, he's saying, I am the shepherd. Listen to this, listen to this description. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And now Jesus' entire analogy here begins to make sense. What Jesus is saying is, we are the sheep. Which means Jesus is saying, we are stupid. Well, that's nice, Jesus. I mean, like, why? You know, why are you calling me, me stupid, Jesus? Like, wh- why do you have to do that? Well, he's saying we're like sheep because we're stupid, because we're vulnerable. You see, like sheep, we have real, very real enemies. Satan is a very real enemy to us. He exists. Wolves are very real uh, are a very real enemy. Scripture talks about wolves as false teachers who, who teach something in opposition to the truth of the gospel. That, that's a real enemy. But our big enemy is our sinful flesh. I mean, think about our sinful flesh. It's, it is precisely our sinful flesh that makes us stupid. I can prove it to you. Have you ever told like a little white lie that you just thought would just actually make the situation just a little easier, just kind of grease the skids of whatever conversation you're having? And then the person asked you for, you know, details about the lie? So then you've got to kind of double down, right? And then a couple of weeks later, they ask you about it again, and you have to remember the details, what are, you doing? what are you doing? Your head is in the fence, you're stuck, and you're thinking, what is the easiest way out of this? I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm just pushing in because, because this is the best way. But what should you do? You should back up, say, okay, I totally lied. I'm sorry I lied, right? That's the right way to handle it, but we double down because we're stupid. Ever been in a in a relationship that you knew was sinful and you shouldn't be in, what do you do? Do you get out of it? Or do you just keep pushing in? Why? Because you're stupid. We're vulnerable because our sinful flesh makes us stupid. And Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door to what? Well, he says, salvation. And, and salvation is a really churchy word, and maybe for some it was someone who is only beginning to consider the claims of Jesus, you're, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really want to be saved from anything. But, but listen to how Jesus describes salvation. It's, it, it's finding pasture. He say, says salvation is that pasture to a sheep. It's that, it's that place where you get to, to eat and to be fed and get sunlight and get to run around and do sheepy things, right? It, 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 it's different from being stuck in that little pen. It, it, it's being set free. Jesus uses the word life. What does he say? He says, I came that you may have life. And not just life, but that you may have life abundantly. 
What is the reason our head is, is stuck in the fence? Because we thought that that lie would make life a little easier. Why is our head stuck in the, the thistle over here? Because we think that this sinful relationship is actually going to bring us life. And what we do is, is we open door after door after door after door, and we're searching for life. And Jesus says, listen, none of those, none of those lead to life. I lead to life. I, I lead to life abundantly. I love how uh, ni- the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, described this. He said this. He said, You will not go out of this place without seeing a door. You will not get into your own house without seeing a door. And when you're inside, you will not get into your parlor, because we all have parlors, uh, without seeing a door. And when you go up to bed, you must pass through a door. And when you rise tomorrow morning and you start to go out to work, you will have to open a door, probably two doors. And when you reach your work, there's pretty sure to be another door to be entered. Doors meet our gaze almost everywhere. So our Lord Jesus Christ seems to be saying to you, I will meet you wherever you are. Anywhere and everywhere, I will speak to you and plead with you. I will make the door of every room in your house and the door of every cupboard to preach, to, to preach a little sermon to you, as you shall be reminded by it that I am the door. I'm never going to look at a, a door the same way again. I'll walk through a door, it preaches a little sermon to me. Reminding me that Jesus is the door. When Jesus isn't the door in some kind of inanimate object sort of way, he is a shepherd, a loving shepherd standing in the door, offering life, knowing you by name, protecting you, caring for you, leading you to life abundantly. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We've all all, seen this, whether we've realized it or not, and if you pay, pay close attention, you'll begin to see this in the world around you. All you need to do is go into a small business and you can identify the owner right away because the owner behaves differently than the rest of the employees there. The the owner behaves differently than everyone who works for him. He's picking stuff up off the floor. He's wiping the counters uh, as he goes by. He's interacting with the customers differently. He just behaves differently. When you go into a business, there, there is the owner and then there is the hired hand who's just there to make money, right? Just to, you know, get their paycheck. And, and a lot of the times, uh, they're going to do A, B, C because that's what they've been, told, they've been told to do, A, B, C. And I ain't doing anything more than that, right? And you can see the difference. Well, well Jesus says it's like that in, in, the, in a shepherding context. A shepherd cares for his sheep, loves his sheep. The hired hand is just there for self-preservation. And if the wolf shows up, he's like, I'm out. I, the worst thing I'm not, you know, I'm going to get is not a paycheck for today, but I'm not going to die. But the shepherd loves the sheep, cares for the sheep, dives in to take care of the sheep. Now, now, now check out the contrast that Jesus gives. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I love this because Jesus just gave us the gospel in a nutshell. 
He says, I know my own. We all have a need to be known. Whether we like it or not, we need it. And Jesus has shown himself consistently in the gospel of, of, of John as being one who knows. And we saw him calling one of the disciples, and, and he says, hey, I remember you. You were, you were sitting under the fig tree. Uh, we saw him say to the Samaritan woman at the well, saying to her, hey, I know your sin. Jesus knows his own. It means he knows your victories. And he knows your failures. And he knows the insecurities that you hide behind your bravado. And he knows when you have a a scared little voice calling out to him or when you are crying out to him in, in pain. Jesus knows you in your sin. He says, I know my own. And he says, and my own know me. And this is beautifully illustrated uh, in Bugs Bunny, and, and I'm going to date myself because if, if you're too young to understand this, we'll go to the internets and you have your YouTubes and you can, and, and you can see this. But there is, in, in the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, there's this guy named Sam the Shepherd Dog. Now, some of you will remember this, but Sam was, was the shepherd dog, and, and what he would do is he would protect his sheep, and the way he would protect his sheep is he would stand at a very high point looking down over the pasture, always vigilant and, and ready with, with a counter to, uh, you know, to counter any enemies that are eyeing his flock. And, and that's what a shepherd would do. You would find, they would find the highest point and, where they could stand, and, and whether it would be on a hill or a cliff, and he would look down to protect his sheep. But there was also an added benefit. The sheep could look up and see him. And they would know that he was there and that they would feel safe. Because listen to what Jesus says. As the good shepherd, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. See, when the wolves show up, sheep and hired hands run run away. And when the wolf shows up, the shepherd runs at the wolf. When a thief and a robber comes and tries to steal the sheep, the shepherd says, you got to go through me. And what his hearers didn't know was that this was going to become literally true. That our enemies of sin, Satan, and death are going to come rushing at us. And Jesus will place himself in the way and lay down his life on the cross to protect us from sin, Satan, and death. Jesus himself became the door. You know, sheep are not just the stupidest of animals but they are also one of the most valuable. I mean, every time I hear these stories, I'm like, Jesus, did you really have to call me stupid? But embedded in this vulnerability is, is, is also, yes, we are vulnerable, but you are also so valuable. A sheep would be valuable to the shepherd, not just when he dies as food to eat, but, but, but his wool. And when the sheep does die, every single part of the sheep is, is valuable to the shepherd. They could, use, they, they could use every single part. Jesus is saying, you're valuable. You're so valuable to me that I lay my life down for you. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And this may not seem 
like an important verse for you, but it is if you're not Jewish. Because the, the flock that, 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 that he was talking to were the, were the Jews, and this is Jesus declaring to them, to, to them that I'm, I'm, not just, I'm, not, I'm coming not just as the Jewish Messiah, I'm coming as the Savior of the world. That every tribe and every tongue would bow down before me as the King of kings and Lords of lords. I, I, I'm going to save the entire world. So, so be, be thankful that verse is in there. For that, that, that's for you, non-Jew. Um, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, week after week after week, we've seen this throughout the book of John, that Jesus says, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I follow the Father's will. He just keeps, he's, he's like a broken record on this theme. And, 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 and now he gives us a puzzle piece. And what he says here is that this is the charge that he gave me, that I would lay down my life and that I would pick it up again. That I would not only, uh, after my sinless life, die on the cross and be buried, but on the third day I would rise powerfully from the dead, ascend into heaven where I, could, I sit at the right hand of God the Father and advocate for those who are my flock. We have a shepherd that not only laid down his life for us, we have a shepherd that rose himself from the dead and lives now. We have a shepherd that because he is able to do that, he is able to offer us life and life abundantly. And this is by far the point of this text. This is what Jesus is getting at. He is the good shepherd and we are the vulnerable sheep and he is the only one who can save and he is the only door, the only one that leads to life and life abundantly. Don't miss that. That is the point of this text. And yet as I was studying uh, it this week, I began to realize the number of, of times the, in the Bible that leaders are called to be shepherds. And, and I realized that Jesus, here in this passage and talking about himself, also taught us how to lead. Because think about this for a moment. What arena in what arena do you have um, a little flock? Uh, maybe you're a teacher and your little flock is your classroom. Or, or you're a mom and your little flock is toddlers. Or, or you're a community group leader and, and your flock is your community group. Or you're a business owner and, 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 and with a little flock of employees. Where's your little flock? You got it? Here's the question. In, in that area where you, are, where, where you have leadership, what best describes you? Are you a thief? See, a thief is only in this for themselves. They're, they're, they're in this for their glory. They're in this for their own comfort. They're in this to, to, to have their bellies fed. They're, they're in this for themselves. The robber is the same way, but they, they leave destruction in their way. They, they don't care who they have to plow through to, to get it. It's at the expense of others, but, but they get some glory. Uh, he, uh, there is the hired hand who, who just as, th as soon as things get rough, they're going to dip. Or are you a shepherd? A shepherd who, who, who knows her flock. 
and loves her sheep and protects her sheep and sacrifices herself for her flock. I read an article this week by a guy named David Mathis, and what he wrote is just fantastic. I want to read just a paragraph of it to you. He said this, from before we can even remember, we have been indoctrinated at nearly every turn with the idea that being a leader means getting the gold star. Leadership is a form of recognition, a kind of accomplishment, the path to privilege. And leadership means privilege, and no generation has considered itself more entitled to privilege than ours. Christian leadership, then, is fundamentally about giving, not taking. Christian leaders are not empty, immature individuals looking to prop themselves up with new privilege. Rather, they are men and women who are secure enough and mature enough to empty themselves for the good of others. Mark this, husbands and dads, pastors and presidents. The very essence and heart of leadership is taking initiative we otherwise wouldn't take and making sacrifices we otherwise wouldn't make to guide our people somewhere good they otherwise would not have gone. We embrace short-term personal difficulties for long-term corporate gains. We are among those who are learning that life's greatest joys come not in private comfort and ease, but in choosing what is uncomfortable and hard for the sake of others' joy. We are learning to find our joy not in the ease of attending to self, but in the toughness of attending to others. Christian leadership in the home, in the church, and elsewhere is not for those clawing for honor and recognition, but for those who are ready to fall to their knees and be inconvenienced by the needs of others. Why would we do that? I mean, in a, in a culture like ours right now, uh, that has this leadership crisis where we're, we're constantly looking for these big leaders to come and climb the ladder and place themselves in authority. Why, why would we live like this? Because we represent the shepherd. We represent a shepherd who became a sheep, who laid himself down to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that, as his sheep, we may become under-shepherds to represent the shepherd. And so when we shepherd our little flock in a way that knows them and loves them and protects them and sacrifices ourselves for them, all we're doing is preaching a story. We're preaching a, a gospel story to the world around us of a shepherd who laid down his his life, so that we might have life and life abundant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Jesus, for our shepherd. And we thank you for him uh, presenting just a different way to view this than the rest of the world does. And so we pray that that those of us who've been ripping uh, open door after door after door, for those of us um, with our heads stuck in the fence or in the thistle, help us to see that you are the door. Uh, that life does not come through all of these other things, but only through you. 
And for those of us who've placed our faith in you and for those of us who, who lead in this world, help us to do so in a way that paints a gospel picture for the world to see our Savior. For it's in his name alone that we do pray. Amen.